As depression, anxiety, and suicide rates skyrocket among young people, we're seeing that the casualties of secular humanism are much steeper than we actually thought. But there's a group of young people at Asbury University who have stumbled on to a different answer for the difficulties of our age. And that has turned into a revival that is now catching the world's attention. So it's important to take a look at that, and that's exactly what we'll do today on Indie Thinker. You know, come to think of it, I can't wait for BlackRock to move into my community, purchase up all the real estate so that there is nothing left on the market except for apartments so that I become a lifelong renter. Said no one ever. That's why you need to go to our friends over at the Kevin Blair team at Element Home Loans so that they can help you get into a new home before it's too late. The predilections of the left are never going to stop, and those who wish to buy out your future they're not going to stop either. So the one thing that you can do is take your family's financial future into your own hands by going to get pre-approved for a home loan today. And you can do that with people you trust by going to kbmtg.com. Our friends over at the Kevin Blair team will make sure that you not only get pre-approved for a home with no gimmicks and tricks, but also make sure that they get all the information that you will need up front so that you can go out and look for a brand new home. So I know the economy isn't the greatest, but Time is of the essence. You need to make sure to secure your family's financial future right now. And again, you can do that by going to kbmtg.com. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, before we get to Asbury University and what's been going on there, I want to take just a brief moment to be transparent with you and to be a little humble. And it probably will come as no surprise to you that I am capable of such humility because I am probably one of the most humble people that you know. But you are probably aware of the fact that uh, balloons have been sailing over American skies just recently, and Joe Biden has put on his aviator glasses, called out the U.S. Air Force to expend $400,000 Sidewinder missiles to take out what we now know is just mere $12 party balloons. Intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Or, just maybe, the people who are responsible for releasing these balloons are not for research purposes or even recreational purposes, but actually just a sweet, innocent family in Chattanooga. Because as you'll see from the pictures I'm showing on the screen, my family just recently released a ton load of helium-infused balloons into the sky, and they went way higher than we ever expected. So as investigations heat up as to the origins of these balloons, and now that we realize that they're not Chinese spy balloons, I think it's fair to assume that they might come knocking on the doors of the people I love here in Chattanooga. So I am first coming out and being as honest as possible to say that it is perfectly reasonable to assume that those balloons are indeed ours. But then also, as you could tell from the pictures that I showed on the screen, I want to be very clear that you did not see me in those pictures, just my sweet family, that I am now ready to turn over state's evidence on for immunity. Because you didn't see me in those pictures because I was the one taking the pictures and not actually releasing the balloons. I have a prepared statement and a list of names if you are interested, and I will happily turn on those people as quickly as possible. Now, um, on a 
more important note, I, I wanted to talk about uh, the Asbury revival, and I wanted to do so in light of something that I thought was kind of unique, that there's a new movie that is coming out this week called Jesus Revolution. Now, this is done by the Irwin brothers, and to get a flavor for what this movie is about, uh, here's a brief trailer to kind of describe it. His house has a very good vibe. There's an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. Country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. So this Christian movie is about a revival that took place in the 1970s that many people affectionately call the the Jesus movement. It took place among a bunch of hippies at a very, very important time in our nation's history, and it sparked what is the Calvary Chapel movement. And so this movie shines a light on that and boasts a great performances specifically by Kelsey Grammer, who is who is in this film, and he plays kind of the, the lead guy in the film. And um, I wanted you to see also this clip of Kelsey responding to his performance and the importance of the film and what it meant to him, because I think it will shine a really, really bright light on why speaking about revival and why what's happening at Asbury is very important. So here's Kelsey Grammer on the uh, Kelly and Ryan Seacrest show, whatever that thing is even called now, Kelly Live or whatever. But here's Kelsey Grammer responding to what this movie meant to him. Check it out. From Jesus Revolution, tell us about it. It's a nice movie. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Really I sweet. mean, yeah. I, you're tearing up. Yeah. I see you getting emotional. <laughs> what, are, what are you feeling? <laughs> Can I play doctor? Um, what yes, do you of feel? course. Um, I, I, I love this movie. Yeah. I really love it. When, my, when we first saw the first cut, uh, we sat down in our home and, and Kate saw it. She said, Oh my God, it's the best thing I've ever done. She started crying. <laughs> but. Uh, He's, uh, he's a man looking for his own faith and finds it as well. Uh, a man whose church is empty and he can't get uh, traction and he's starting to think he's going to be fired from his job as a pastor. And uh, uh, this hippie comes into his life and he finds new purpose and uh, started a movement that is still still going. So I mean, it's extraordinary. Story. Yeah, it's a true story. You're Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith. Is, uh, the guy I played died in uh, 2014, I think. But uh, the number of people who came up uh, and said, oh, "You're playing Chuck Smith." Oh, I, I listen to him all the time. Or uh, and they say, uh, "He's uh, he mar he married us." Or uh, I was baptized by Chuck Smith. Uh, you can see this light in their eyes. And, so as you can tell, Kelsey Grammer was really impacted by this role. Now, I think it's fair to suggest that not only because of the nature of this role and the positive story it portrays, but also he was impacted because our culture desperately needs God the way the culture needed it in the 1970s as this movie portrays. So to be sure, the 1970s was a tumultuous time, a time where the Watergate scandal was going on, the Vietnam War was going on. Uh, the free love movement was uh, encouraging people towards casual sex as their answer to uh, to what real love meant. And, and of course, the proliferation and the spread of 
of marijuana and drugs all over the place. So, so in the backdrop of that comes this movement that revitalizes a youth culture who is disenfranchised and disillusioned. And we're very much living in a same kind of situation in the present. We have impending issues with China, an ongoing war in the Ukraine, uh, with Russia. We have a to- we had a totalitarian vax mandate that really revealed kind of the the nasty side of our political divide. We have race hustlers continually pushing things like the 1619 Project and critical race theory. We have trans activists rushing kids uh, to get under the, the knife of surgeons and so much more. And so as you can see, there's a desperate need for the same kind of revival that took place in the 70s in the present. Thankfully, at Calvary now, just like Calvary then, as the movie portrays, we have godly men who are standing up in the midst of everything that's going on. People like Jack Hibbs and Rob McCoy and my own pastor, Frank Ramser. These are all men in the Calvary Chapel movement. And there's others outside of it as well who are realizing that the only hope for this kind of dystopian reality that we've created for ourselves in the present, and the only hope for it to not even get worse in the future, is for revival. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if you find that nothing in this world can satisfy your soul, it could be that you were meant for something more. And that's exactly what revival does. It, it encourages us to seek for something outside of the social answers that we've been looking for and to look to something higher. Now, I'm going to explain it a little bit more and go into a little bit more detail in our top stories today. But if that is what is happening at Asbury, then then I gotta say, I'm okay with it. I'll get egg on my face pursuing and endorsing one of the few things we know is the antidote to the chaos of our culture. So I'll be the first to say, I am for revival and I am for what is going on at Asbury if it can help people dig a little bit deeper and go a little bit further in their relationship and in their understanding of who God is and why he is desperately needed now. And we'll talk about that as we dig into our top stories. You may know by now that Asbury University is the home of what many are calling a revival that has been going on now for multiple days uh, since, I think, February 8th. Uh, So a little bit about Asbury University. Asbury University is a small Christian evangelical school outside of Lexington, Kentucky. It's a full liberal arts university with around 2,000 students in attendance, and it has around 22,000 Uh, previous alumni. It boasts a history of revival-like experiences in the past, like in 1905 and 1950 and 1958, and what they say is a 185-hour nonstop service that took place in the 1970s. So this was around the same time as the Jesus movement uh, that was illustrated in the the movie that I did at the show opener, Jesus Revolution. So uh, so they had a, a big revival that took place then, and the present revival that, uh, that so many are talking about right now started with just an average chapel service. In fact, down below in the notes of this podcast or in uh, the description, I'll leave a link to the chapel service that kind of sparked everything, and you can check it out for yourself. It seems very average, very normal, a typical service, if you will, but 
kind of a secondhand story. I haven't confirmed this, but it's said that after this chapel service, there was a group of kids who came to the front and began to pray and uh, to ask for forgiveness for their sins. And in the midst of that, they started sharing stories. One young man shared a story about trying to commit suicide, and he said God spared his life. And then as the kids started confessing one uh, with another, they then began to pray in a prolonged fashion. The worship team finally came back, saw what was happening, and they continued to worship, and things have been going on ever since. And so it sparked a conversation about what is revival, is revival actually going on at Asbury, and what is going on at Asbury from just a, a more specific standpoint. So before we jump into any of those kind of questions, let me just answer the big question at the end of the day, what is revival? Now I'm going to give you kind of a, a working definition here because there may be some pushback and I'll try to explain, but Revival is not just prolonged services or or services that take place over a span of multiple days. Revival is, as the name suggests, just the bringing back of something that was dead to life, you know, reviving something. Now, this can also be not just a person whose soul is dead but coming back to life, but this can also be ideas that have long been forgotten coming back to the fore. Now, this is why I'm inclined to believe that what is going on at Asbury is indeed a revival. I think there are some some aspects of revival that can only be known after the fact, and including the fruit of a revival. Like, wh- how does it impact the life personally? Well, that's not something that you can know in the moment, but we can certainly see that it is having a positive impact, not only for the people who go to Asbury, but also for people all over the world as they tune in and see that there is a cure that hasn't been offered very much in the in modern society. In fact, I can't think of a single revival that has taken place since the advent of social media. Now, I'm only making that observation because I think it's incredibly interesting that technology has seemed to provide lots of distraction for us and pushed us further away from the answers that might actually truly bring a, a true sense of of what life is a, is about. And and so to see this now, I think is incredibly incredibly important. Now, I also want to make mention of the fact that there is this kind of imminent aspect of revival in that there is this kind of special thing that that takes place at revival that is unique and extraordinary. So I get that. When you hear my definition for revival, you could say, well, read people do that every single Sunday. You know, things are brought back to life or ideas that are forgotten have been revived in the conscience of people. Um, that, that happens every single Sunday. And then I would say, well, if that's true, then fantastic. Then that's revival as well. Um, I think it happens far less than we actually think it does on a typical basis in most churches, especially now around America, but I'm all for it. If things are being revived in that fashion, then I would say that is revival too. And that revival should be way more typical than we often make it if we're truly living and doing the things that the scripture dictates. All that to be said, that we desperately need it, and I, I truly believe that we are seeing at least aspects of it here in this in this Asbury move. But it hasn't stopped the skeptics from coming out and saying that, oh, this is just nothing more than pure emotionalism, and this will fizzle out eventually, and everybody's jumping on the bandwagon of revival nowadays. Uh, we even have guys like this supposed pastor who believes that King James only is the only way that God will ever move. 
they are not King James only. Now, while I could take a lot of time to address the kind of people who believe that God needs their permission to for revival to take place, I think there is a need to be discerning and to be wise, but we need to know why we are against something. Now, far be it for me to say, oh, you know, there's a problem with somebody being against something. Sure, be against something, but know why you're doing it. We'll get to that in just a moment. So let's just answer some of the questions of the skeptics real quick. So the the, the first one I want to jump in is, is the idea of the bandwagon, that there's churches now and other college campuses who are jumping on the bandwagon, and all over now people are claiming revival, some type of spiritual renewal. In fact, uh, they've even started claiming it at Burger King. Apparently, one of the urinals was actually cleaned in the men's bathroom at Burger King. So, I mean, I'm hearing optimistic things all over the place. By the way, don't understand why grown men cannot aim at a huge white thing that is plastered up against a wall. When you go into these bathrooms, especially at like Bucky's or something, like there is a pool of pee underneath the urinal. Men, you're supposed to be like the hunter gatherers. You have to have good aim. What has happened to manhood these days? Nonetheless, um, a lot of people are claiming that they're seeing revival. So the bandwagon thing, yeah, I understand it, it kind of diminishes per perhaps what's happening at Asbury, but let's just say that what's happening at Asbury is so effective that it's spreading to other places and awakening the conscience for the need for revival. And if that's true, then, hey, I think that we've accomplished something great in Asbury already because it's helping us ask some questions. What is revival and and how can we achieve it? And if that's something that we weren't asking before, then I think we have to be honest about the fact that if we're asking it now, that's a positive outcome of what is taking place at Asbury. Now, I want to address the, the fizzling thing, because this is the, the claim I hear the most. Oh, these revivals, they come and they go and they fizzle out. Lasting fruit is the only way to really know if something was truly a revival. So to, the, to a certain extent, I agree with that. But let me just be clear that sometimes things that fizzle out are actually really, really productive and really, really beneficial, you know, because we like food is it fizzles out eventually, but you need it to survive and, and the breath that you breathe. You need it because uh, without it, you die, but it doesn't last very long. So so things that fizzle out aren't necessarily bad. And Asbury has already come out and said that they're going to put a timestamp on uh, this revival because they're going to close down things pretty soon. But So just recently, somebody on Facebook from the university posted this. As we enter the third week of this renewal movement, our desire is to be faithful to our mission as a student-centric Christian university. Brown wrote in the statement, further, we believe that the continued flourishing of such a movement invites us to commission our Asbury community visiting students and other campus guests from across the world to neighbor serving, God honoring work. After much prayer and discussion with campus leadership, we have established a schedule for the upcoming week that is available on the university website. So it appears that Asbury themselves has set an end date to what is taking place there, and it appears that as of Monday, the public revival ended due to complaints from city officials, local businesses, and many others about the traffic and all of that. So they've taken that into account, and they've prayed, and they've decided to kind of move into just focusing on, on youth and high school and college students and continuing to hold daily services to kind of reach out to that age group. Now, one thing about that statement that I think is vitally important to recognize is that uh, whoever the brown guy is, I think he's the president, but regardless of what his role is in him coming out to make this statement, he says this, that the goal of revival is never just to merely have a bunch of people come to us and make this an ongoing thing that we carry out for as long as it, we possibly can. 
but it's to actually go out into neighbor-serving, God-honoring neighbor-serving, and to go out into the world and to make a difference. So you have to at least admire the fact that they're keenly aware of the fact that they could go on and on and on and have endless services, but that the end result of the service is something that they know very well. Uh, and, I, and, and that's commendable, to be sure. And then finally, the, the one thing we hear a lot about this, uh, about the skeptics who want to talk about this, is, oh, it's just pure emotionalism. It's all people who just want to have an experience-driven outcome rather than really dig into the Word of God and get to know God better. Uh, and so I just have to ask a quick question. What's the alternative there? Should revival be boring? Should it be unfun, like apparently your house is around Christmas time, the most joyful time of the year? What's the deal with being so against having an outpouring of emotion? By the way, every single revival in American history, especially, or in the history of the church, has been attended to by emotional outpourings of people who want to seek God and want to pursue Him passionately. So I don't know what the the real problem with emotionalism is, and I and I'm assuming that some of these people they think the response should be people in church going, hmm, and that's like what revival should look like, rather than weeping, emotional displays of worship. And, and the like. Uh, all I can tell you is uh, check out Acts chapter 2. But anyway, more importantly, through all of this, pushing the skeptics aside, my take is that we need to have an understanding of what revival is and why things like this can be good. So here's my take on the Asbury revival, and it's an attitude I would encourage you to contemplate and to, to take uh, on w- other issues with. Uh, to decide on things that seem good, you need, you need two things in my opinion, and perhaps more, but two things for sure. The first thing you need to know is if you're going to stand up for something and support something, you need to know the message is right. Now, I cannot speak to all the messages at Asbury University. I can only tell you this, that I can show you something pretty rare among Christians and Christian campuses to be sure these days, and that is this statement of faith that I'm putting up on the screen now. Here's Asbury University's official statement on gender and sexuality. We affirm that humans are beings created in the image of God, male and female, and are of inestimable worth. As a result, we affirm that human sexuality is intended by God to include more than the contemporary cultural emphasis upon the physical experience, and is a gift of God designed to reflect the whole of our sensual and relational createdness. We believe that it is only within the context of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman that the full expression of sexuality is to be experienced and celebrated. The understanding of conventional marriage and the practice of celibacy within singleness are the means by which we are to experience a life of full human flourishing while glorifying God and honoring his word. A faithful interpretation of Scripture affirms the principles that sexual purity honors God and that all forms of sexual intimacy that occur outside of the covenant of heterosexual marriage are sinful distortions of the holiness and the beauty for which God intended. So as you could tell from what I just read, obviously this should go without saying that this is what a Christian school believes, but more and more we're seeing that that is not the case. Now, far be it for me to lower the standard and say congratulations that you've actually kept what is supposed to be the standard, but honestly, this... This is a sign that this that this school has a stance on on biblical issues, even in controversial places. So, to me, that's that's a good way to understand that the message here is 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 accurate as it accords with 
scripture. Now, the next thing is is the heart of what's going on at Asbury. Now, this one's a little bit difficult to discern. And and I'll, I made a mention of kind of like the eminence and the uniqueness of revival, so it's not just considered just mundane or normal service, but although that normal service could have aspects of revival, um, there's no real way to judge eminence. And by that, I mean the the closeness of the presence of God. I always want to make room for the fact that uh, there are times where God is seemingly closer and closer in a real intangible way, it seems, than, than at other times. There are times of vis- visitation, in other words, but it's really hard to judge like how imminent is God in a specific situation. So you can't really judge, uh, you can't judge revival based upon imminence and transcendence. God is everywhere and God is right here in the midst of us in a really kind of like, objectifiable way. And it's hard to do that also with the heart or with the motive. And this is where we have to be incredibly careful because we can easily try to assume and presume that we know the motives of the people that are doing this thing when we really don't. And this is kind of my problem too with the vast majority of people who are speaking out against Asbury. The vast majority of them of them have not gone at all. They've done a quick Google search on things and then tried to figure out something to hate. Um, I really do think that if we're going to assess the motives of something, we need to know what is going on there. That's why I think that it's really, really important to show this Tucker Carlson clip here because this gives us kind of a, a, a window into the heart and the motives behind the people at Asbury. So check this out. We didn't fully understand what was happening at Asbury, and we don't really understand it now. We're not sure anyone does understand it. But whatever is going on seemed wonderful, seemed like the sort of thing we badly need more of. So we started making plans to go to Kentucky on Friday, tomorrow, to see the service for ourselves. And then this morning, a remarkable thing happened. We got a call from Asbury University asking us not to come. It's not personal, they said, they like our show. But the ongoing service at Asbury is purely spiritual. It's got nothing to do with politics or business. No one there is making money from it or planning a run for office. It's mostly just young people worshiping God, young people finding meaning and answers in a country that increasingly doesn't offer much of either. It's not really a place for TV cameras. And we understood that. In fact, we deeply respected it. When you work in television, you run into a lot of people who want publicity. You almost never meet anyone who doesn't want publicity. And when you do meet people who don't want publicity, they're either doing something wrong or, in the rarest of all cases, they're doing something right. Something so right and so beautiful and so true that media coverage can't enhance it. It can only detract from it. We think that's what's happening at Asbury University. God bless them for turning us down. Now, those final words right there from Tucker will probably be something I don't forget for, for a while there. God bless them for turning us down because he's absolutely right. I can think about a million different ways Christians can and have tried to sell out and fleece whatever is happening at their church for personal gain. Um, And I'll be the first to admit that if Tucker Carlson called me up tomorrow and he said, hey, this podcast about Asbury was fantastic. Will you come on the show? I would say yes and thank you. May I have another? Uh, but uh, that's probably not happening, and I'm okay that it doesn't. And I'm not saying that I would say yes because I'm willing to sell out for the sake of publicity. I'm just saying that the opportunity to go on Tucker's show or to have Tucker come uh, on my show and do something about my show would be 
phenomenal if he was willing to shine a positive light on on those things. And even if it was negative, you know, just shine a light on it, right? Uh, the publicity is important. Everybody that's marketing something understands this. But that's the point. It seems that the guys at Asbury are not interested in marketing what is going on there. They are interested in keeping first things first and keeping the focus on Jesus. And that's why they asked Tucker not to come. So what you should know about the Asbury University is that there is no guest speaker that's a big name. Or there is no great big worship teams that uh, are you know, internationally known that have been invited to come to the Asbury University uh, revival to get more people to come. That seems to have not been the heart from, from anybody that has been talking about this Asbury University revival from the, from the, you know, the university. That doesn't seem to be what they're after at all. And it reminds me of somebody that I read about in the Bible who would consistently say, hey, don't tell anybody what happened here and don't make a big fuss about this because I'm not after publicity, I'm after truth. And of course, that person is Jesus. So I don't know that we can even assess clearly the motives of everyone involved in this revival, but I do think that what we saw with Tucker gives us a good indication that what is happening there is really, really good. And here's why it's good. More thinking is always better. The naysayers about this thing are a bad testimony, in my opinion, because they're not thinking clearly and not clearly defining what revival is very often if they are going to be against it. Now, I'll say again, there's nothing wrong with being against something. You know, we talk too often in the Christian church, oh, you're always against something, you're never for anything. Now, sure, that's a problem, but we need to be against things. That's what, like, our faith teaches. We are against some things, right? And we don't need to be ashamed to be against some things, especially if they're incredibly incredibly damaging. But the real problem is, is when we're against things, and we don't really have a good reason for why we're against them. So naysayers are a bad testimony to the world. And frankly, this Asbury revival in my own life personally has kept me thinking daily about what revival actually is, how to explain it and how to communicate it and how to experience it in my own life and in my church. And, and, and it's kept me thinking about it. And if nothing else, the Asbury Revival has started sparking conversation in the social consciousness of people about what revival actually is, and I think that that's really important. Now, the second thing, here's, here's the second reason why this Asbury Revival is good. And quick disclaimer, I'm going to go a little bit long in this explanation just because I decided to tuck the rest of my show in this bigger kind of umbrella of the Asbury Revival, and I typically kind of talk about current events that are going on and give some kind of Christian perspective and Christian thought on those things. And so I'm going to shove that into this, this second thing, um, and it'll take a little bit of time, but it'll be well worth your time. But the second reason this Asbury Revival is good is because we are living in a broken culture. So I want to share a story with you real quick that just came out that really illustrates the, um, the failure of flawed thinking, that you can be half right and it can still have deadly consequences. And so this story comes from, uh, from, the, from Esquire magazine. Variety is writing about it. And Esquire magazine did an interview with Evangeline Lilly. And they did this um, in response to comments that she made about the Vax mandate. Now, Evangeline Lilly, for those who don't know, is the co-star in the Ant-Man film franchise. And she just recently is a, 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 going to be in the, the new Ant-Man movie. And so she went on a press tour. And during that press tour, the comments that she made about the Vax mandate in the past came up. And so 
she was asked about those things, and here's what she had to say about them. I think it's incredibly enlightening. Evangeline Lilly said in a new interview with Esquire magazine that she was well aware she'd ignite controversy by posting photos on social media from an anti-vaccine mandate rally in Washington, D.C. The Lost End Marvel star faced backlash in 2022 of January after participating in the rally when she joined in support of bodily sovereignty. And this is what she had to say. Quote, I believe nobody should ever be forced to inject their body with anything against their will under threat of violent attack, arrest or detention without trial, loss of employment, homelessness, starvation, loss of education, alienation from loved ones, excommunication from society under any threat whatsoever. And Lily wrote on Instagram at the time this. She said, quote, this is not the way. This is not safe. This is not healthy. This is not love. I understand the world is in fear, but I don't believe that answering fear with force will fix our problems. I was pro-choice before COVID and I am still pro-choice today. So obviously it's really rare that Evangeline Lilly was willing to take this stand, not only as clearly a liberal because she just said she's pro-choice, but, but also because she is going against what many of her peers in Hollywood as a liberal would say. Um, now, here's the real problem with Evangeline's argument. She's, she's pro-choice and she's from the my body, my choice crowd. And so she doesn't believe because she is an abortionist, that she should also have to let the government tell her what to do with her body in terms of a vaccine mandate. But here's the problem and the flawed thinking here. The vax is not purposefully intended to kill. I know this will come as a surprise to some of you, but the, but the vaccine was actually intended to try to help people fight against COVID. On the other hand, abortion does kill. Abortion is absolutely intended to kill. Now, here's one more difference here, Evangeline. Abortion does not impact your body. It impacts another's body. I know the argument, right? Like if I have that baby, stretch marks and oh, morning sickness and horribly inconvenient, right? Um, and, and then I'll actually have to take care of somebody uh, besides myself and actually live a selfless life. I understand that that's the argument on the other side. Here's, here's the other argument. Uh, the one who is being dismembered in the womb is not actually you. It's that baby who is either being poisoned or dismembered in the womb. So as you can see, there's a little bit of flawed thinking here, but Lily will go on to say this. Lily now told Esquire that she asked herself, quote, about 600 times whether or not she should post photos from the rally. She remembered thinking to herself, I know the beast that I'm attacking. I know that I have a little pebble and there's this effing Goliath giant. If I shoot this pebble, it's going to wake the giant. Now, here she's totally right. Going against Big Pharma does make her a David in the midst of all of the people who would be against her. And, uh, and Big Pharma is certainly a Goliath. But here she's also wrong. Because if there is a sense in which it's a David and Goliath scenario, it's that baby in the womb who cannot defend itself is definitely more of a David uh, going against a Goliath. People like Planned Parenthood who are willing and wishing to attack that baby. So that's the real David and Goliath scenario. And just one last thing that she said that I think is important to know. I just wanted people out there who were struggling because they were under severe pressure to do something they didn't want to do to know that they weren't alone and to know that there were people who actually felt that they had a right to say no. And so, of course, you probably know where I'm going here in the same way that those little babies who can't say no, don't dismember me in the womb, don't inject poison into my body, don't suck me out with a, with a vacuum, 
they can't say no. So somebody has to speak up for them. And the end result of not doing so is obviously very deadly. But this is the kind of thinking that Evangelina, Evangeline Lilly gives us too. It's, it's a deadly kind of thinking to be half right, to be pro-choice, which means you're against vax mandates and also for abortion, just doesn't cohere in a logical and rational world. But that's, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing more and more and more people who cannot think logically and conclusively about things that are right in front of our face. Now, and that's especially the case in this in this last story with with Leah Thomas. Just recently, Crane and Co., which is the kind of sports podcast for the Daily Wire, had Riley Gaines on the show. She's a female swimmer, and she had personal experience with Leah Thomas, who is Will Thomas. I'll alternate between those two names, uh, but just know when I say Leah Thomas, I mean Will Thomas. Um, and she went on the show to talk about Leah Thomas, but then also after this really insightful interview, uh, the guys over at Crane & Co. revealed that they were going to release a Twitter thread that had some information that they had found out about Leah Thomas. And that information was as follows, that Leah Thomas actually had a private, I believe, Instagram account, private social media account, one way or the other, that had been posting consistent uh content about uh, autogynephilia. And um, let me explain what autogynephilia is. It's, It's a man's paraphilic tendency to be sexually aroused by the thought or image of himself as a woman. And it has been classified as a mental disorder since 1989. Now, there are plenty of people who are going to argue with whether or not it should or should not be a mental disorder. But as it stands, autogynephilia is a sexually deviant mental disorder. And uh, in this private account that was the, – the handle for this private account was Leah Timmas, T-H-I-M-A-S. Um, and and Leah, and it was a, obviously connected to Leah Thomas and her, uh, his – his real account where he's just putting very banal stuff on his public account. But then this private account had all of these autogynephilic posts. Now, I feel like it's only right to show you these things, but fair warning, disclaimer here, that what you're about to see is really gross and very disgusting. So you can fast forward this if you want to, if you're um, listening to it, and especially if you're watching it. But I do believe it's important to show you what uh, Crane & Co. revealed. So here in these posts, you can see that that Leah Timmis was liking and or posting um, things about a man dressed as a woman and getting aroused by those things. These are specific AGP posts, autogynephilic posts, that are glorifying this sexual deviant mental disorder. And then finally, you'll see here that Gwen, who is the male partner who says he is a woman, uh, the male partner of Leah Thomas showing a a uh, picture of him holding a glass jar with water in it, which supposedly houses his former uh, his former testicles. Um, and so he kept the twig, but got rid of the berries. And here he is celebrating the removal of his testicles with this with this post, as you can see on the screen. Now we know. This is not the behavior of a person who is mentally stable. This is the behavior of somebody who is deeply, deeply troubled. And here's the real problem. We've taken people like Leah Thomas and others around our nation and who have this sexual deviant mental disorder. 
And because of our desire to pat ourselves on the back and to virtue signal, we've unleashed these sexual deviants onto a group of unsuspecting women in their locker rooms as they undress. And you can see that from that the source as Riley Gaines talks about how it made her feel the first time a grown 6-4 man disrobed in front of a bunch of young girls. But the thing is, so of course we knew going into the meet we would be competing against each other, but we were not forewarned in any capacity that we would be sharing a locker room. And so the swimming locker room, um, it's not necessarily a place of modesty. You've grown up swimming, especially when you're at the elite level yeah. that we were. You put these suits on that are like skin tight. It takes like 15 minutes to put these suits on. So it's a process to which, of course, you have to be undressed. Um, but as a girl growing up in that environment, you become okay with being vulnerable in that situation because everyone there is in the same situation. And it's a place of chatter. You get to see your friends from all over the country who you haven't seen in so long. And so I was in the locker room, obviously putting my suit on, and all of a sudden it got dead silent. I turn around. I mean, this person's towering over every other person in the locker room, drops the clothes, full male, <sighs> like a fully intact male with male genitalia. And almost subconsciously, you just cover. Like, mm, it's yeah. just a subconscious inherent feeling when you see a male with male parts watching you undress. So as you can clearly see, we're growing up in a broken culture. And when we see things like what is happening at Asbury University, I think we should jump in with both feet because it is the only cure for how broken and messed up our backwards thinking culture is and how messed up our abortive sexual deviant culture is. And and this is the culture, by the way, that our kids are growing up in. So that brings us to the third and final point. Uh, so it, it helps us think. And then secondly, we have a broken culture, so we need revival. And then the third thing is that because we have a broken culture, that's the culture our kids are growing up in. Now, I have a, a golden rule here, and I'll call it the golden child rule, not because Eddie Murphy is involved in it whatsoever, but because it involves children and the golden rule. And the golden rule, as you know, is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then the golden child rule is do unto others' children as you would want done to your kids. And I can only say this, as far as the golden child rule is concerned, if I had the option to allow my kids to go to any other university on the planet or to go to Asbury University right now, if my kids were old enough, I would say, I want my kids at Asbury. I want them to experience that. And I would be, quite frankly, upset with the person who suggested that anything that was going on there was 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 wrong or was was evil in any way or was heretical if my kid was there and experiencing life-changing things that were helping him become a more aware of God in a culture that is incredibly morally and spiritually bankrupt. So I just think, although not the most conclusive, you should apply the golden child rule to some things in life and say, would you want your kid to be a part of that? And, and say, and if the answer is yes, well, then you should think about endorsing that. And then I'll just finally end with this personal story as we kind of close out our thinking about the Asbury Revival and how much our culture desperately needs it. 
I had a skeptical pastor when I first became a Christian who went to the Brownsville revival. Now, he did this before I started going to the church, by the way. Um, but he was skeptical. He went to Brownsville because some of his church members were going there, and he wanted to check it out, and he wasn't sure if what was going on was was biblical in nature, and he wanted to just see if there was fruit on the vine at Brownsville. And this is a revival, by the way, that took place in the, in the uh, mid-90s, I think, early to mid-90s, and this is in, in Florida. And so he went there skeptical, but I can only tell you, as anecdotal as this may be, that he came away a true believer in somebody that had been touched in such a special way that when he came back to his church, it changed everything. In fact, the church was a, a Southern Baptist church that then um, became a independent church. And I'll just be very honest with you that a lot of the things that happened in the aftermath of uh, that pastor going to that that experience at Brownsville were kind of messy. Some people left the church, some people didn't like it, but there was a lot more who really, really did. And that church is still alive and thriving today. But when I went to that church in the early 2000s, um, it was there that my life was forever changed. It was forever changed because there was something special about that church. That church had this, this kind of quintessence, this this essence to it that when I went there, it wasn't like any other church I had been to ever before. And I can honestly say that I think I was saved in the midst of a revival, which absolutely changed my whole understanding of what is possible in the Christian world. I saw things that have forever changed my life and even things that I haven't seen since there. That church impacted me in such a powerful way that that I, that I needed it to at that time because I had been in church my whole life and most of it was boring and I couldn't stand it. And then I went to that church and it was different. It was, it was life-giving. And I was forever changed because one man who was a little bit skeptical about what was going on decided to lean into what God was doing all because he understood that the next generation needed God. And boy, was he spot on. So as Asbury kind of goes away from the public conversation, I'll say I, for one, will miss it. But I also think that it did leave at least this impression, I hope, in in your life, and I think it did in mine. Nothing will stop us from pursuing revival in our own homes, in our churches, and in our workplaces. And by God, we need it. So I'd love to hear what you think about that. You can leave that down in the comments section below. You can also like and subscribe if you haven't done so. And most importantly, you can go with God. Thanks for watching.